Hi, welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Tom Solopek from Cross Asset Strategy. We're here discussing today the view on European banks and, and in the wake of some shifts in views, in particular for my colleagues who are joining the call. We're joined today by uh, Mislav Mateka, head of Global Equity Strategy, head of Europe Equity Strategy, Kian Abu Hussein, European banks analyst, as well as Esmail Afsa, European derivatives strategist. Welcome all to the program. Let, let's hear first from, from Ms. Lav, since your recent shift in your recent report was what kicked this off, going underweight uh, European banks. You highlighted a bunch of vulnerabilities. Why don't we go through the thesis? Okay, thanks, Tom. So a few things, a bit bigger picture. Uh, we made um, a number of recent changes um, five or six weeks ago, uh, real estate, which we were uh, short for two years, we advised to close the underweight, it fell 50% relative. Fundamentally, it looks bad, but it is a duration trade, and that's really the, the thread behind uh, all of this. And on the other side, uh, just last week, um, in Europe, uh, we advised to go uh, short um, the banks, and the European banks had a great spell. In the last three years, they were up 70-80% relative to the market and um, you know we were all the way banks in 21 and 22 and and again this year um, and this is not BKX and the US they had a little bit of a different path and I'm sure Kian is going to elaborate on that the differences but um, again in Europe this year they moved back to pre-SVB uh, uh, levels strong outperformance at, at a high as of you know last week 10-12 percent relative and this whole three years move really from macro perspective coincided with the bond yields bond yields moved um, from German minus half in 2020 to three US from one to five and that was all reflected replicated in the earnings and net interest income improvement. So, so this is the angle, the bank's outperformance for three years on the back of the bond yields move. And what do you do with the bond yields? Because US TLT, the long duration ETF, it lost 50%, it halved the biggest underperformance in the history. Um, you have the Fed, which is likely done with a tightening. And um, if you look at the last eight Fed cycles, post the last hike in the cycle, and one doesn't know ahead is if this is the last, but post the last Fed hike in the cycle, whether it's a soft landing, like let's say it was 84, 85, or obviously 94, 95, or hard landing, irrespective, every single time, Every single time, 10-year yield moved lower meaningfully over the next 6 to 12 months. So the way I look at banks, and especially in Europe, it's a macro trade. They were doing badly forever on the back of recapitalizations and a deflation angle. And as the bond yields spiked on the back of this uh, COVID-driven inflation surge for three years, they actually did really, really, really well. And... Um, the move in the bond yields probably is coming behind us. Fed is done. Inflation is moving lower and probably activity momentum as well. Even in the US, which has been extremely resilient with a 5% plus Q3, that is the high watermark. We are going to be softening. And you're seeing the 
ISMs and the services PMIs, even the payrolls. Most recently, there is some turn. So, so the call from my side is predicated largely on the move in the bond yields over the last two or three years is turning, and therefore the earnings and net interest margins are turning. Um, there, there are a lot of other uncertainties. It's a deposit beta story, and I, and I know Kian has a very important angle on that. Um, the deposit base of the banks for different reasons could be weaker. A regulatory backdrop, I mean, this year was really good for the banks. Even after the SVB, the regulator let them, allowed them to, to continue with the buybacks and and the and the dividends issuance. Maybe next year, the regulatory backdrop will not be as supportive. Of course, the credit market was really, really resilient. Credit spreads tightened after last year's wides. Maybe provisioning picks up, credit uncertainty picks up. Ultimately, banks are a trade also on macro momentum and macro was fine. There was no recession. Recession risks were overblown. Credit market was fine. Nobody went really bankrupt. Bankruptcies did not increase. So if any of these um, several items move, this is a sector which performed very well, European banks, and we have just last week advised to look at it from the uh, short perspective into the next year. Yeah, I mean, looking from a bigger picture perspective, um, you know, you have this disconnect between, you know, slowing economic growth and higher expectations on the earning consensus earnings side, something like, let's say, 12% in the in the U.S. And that disconnect is growing. And there's a bunch of other disconnects you'd highlighted. Um, maybe you can touch on just a few more of the the vulnerabilities on, on the bank side. You know, I think you had highlighted the very high dividend rate and, and the leverage in the system. What else are you worried about on the bank side? Well, I mean, you made a point on this earnings growth expectations for the whole market. I mean, this is maybe a little bit on a, um, you know, a separate story, but it is an issue that um, this year, S&P 500 earnings were flat. And the consensus is saying uh, next year, uh, we are going to move up to plus 12. And, and a median, so not even, um, you know, there's somebody is messing up the numbers due to the weighting. And when you look at how the top line growth reaccelerates, which is tough to believe in if the pricing power is coming down and the margins increase, the margins are set to increase according to the IVES. So, so it's fine if the earnings growth really does reaccelerate. Um, but the problem here is the pricing power and operating leverage could be weaker and cost of capital is obviously uh, higher. So you could have a set of the disappointments and the banks uh, from different issue, but they are, they are not going to be uh, immune to that. Banks have been basically over earning or, or the interest rate environment allowed them over earn and net interest income uh, is something which very soon is likely to peak out. And then on top of that, as I said, when you look at different sectors in Europe and globally, and I know clients disagree with that, clients are now starting to say, look, banks, you can see them as a defensive trade, because as you say, they have a better balance sheets nominally, definitely than before, uh, dividends and they're covered well and all that. But you know, ultimately, Banks, when you rank all the sectors with a leverage to the PMI or any other activity momentum, 
banks are the highest, the, the highest. So what is the risk is that if there is a disappointment on macro next year, uh, it's very hard to see banks, especially with a leverage to credit market, being a, a safe haven player. Thanks, Mislav. Um, yeah, some very good charts on, on, on where uh, the divs and uh, and leverage line up for, for banks that are highlighting the vulnerability. So let's turn to Kianel. Uh, Kian, wh- where do Europe, European banks stand in the in the global context when you come back to this theme that Mislav talked about, uh, improving profitability from from rates having gone high? Yeah, we're very much aligned with uh, what what Mislav is saying, and um, we think that uh, the US is already well advanced. Uh, with a deposit beta of uh, roughly 40% plus. And we clearly have seen a long time ago the peak of net interest income already in the US. Um, Europe is kind of in the middle where we are expecting the peak of net interest income um, at the end of the fourth quarter, uh, beginning of the first quarter of 24. So we're going to see that turn down. And we're seeing a deposit beta in Europe between 25 and 30%. And then really there's Japan at the beginning of the cycle uh, with the highest interest rate gearing. Uh, Our Japanese analysts are forecasting every 25 basis points higher short rates is around 15%, 1, 5% earnings accretive to the regional banks. That's uh, more than double what it would be for the European banks at the deposit beta of 30. Uh, And clearly the US is already uh, in the other zone of declining NRI uh, due to deposit betas going up. So really uh, the key here is where you are in the cycle of interest rate hikes and coming from negative rates clearly. And secondly, what is very important is where is the deposit beta? And we are seeing the deposit beta starting to accelerate. It's been a great environment as Mislav just said. Um, And net interest income has grown over 20% in 2023. Um, 60% of revenues are net interest income and uh, earnings are growing by more than 30% this year alone. So net interest income has been a superb driver and that whole earnings dynamic is starting to pivot. And uh, hence, uh, we are very much uh, 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 getting more cautious on European banks as Mislav is is outlining. What do you see as the, the risk to earnings looking ahead? Uh, the risk we're seeing um, is not just that earnings are actually flat in our model um, in 24 as well as 25, uh, but we're seeing quite a few additional risks that we believe the market isn't focused on. One is uh, clearly the obvious one is asset quality. Um, when we look at our models, we expect a slight pickup in asset quality deterioration. We have uh, 27 basis points provisions today the normalized levels around 30 and we're expecting a slight pickup to 35 and then back to 30 and 25 so normalized but we are about 15 percent above consensus on provisions so we believe actually there's some asset quality risk uh, not just in the commercial real estate sector but just looking at the refi pipeline that is coming our way Um, and, and and i'm sure mislav can discuss that more in detail 
Um, secondly, on cost, uh, we are having 2% cost growth in 25. So we're expecting cost actually to decline. And again, 2% is a very nice environment. And we believe actually consensus in ASA might be too, too, too low on cost growth. And then lastly, uh, we also have to remember deposits are declining. There's a lot of discussion in the US around deposit decline, um, but not so much in Europe. And in Europe, actually, deposits are declining 3.5%. In Italy, 7.5%. And uh, we are expecting continuous deposit decline. And deposit declines themselves will drive more competition on deposits, of course. And that's another thing where we believe the market is underestimating the net interest income risk. And then one final question for you, Kiana. You know, one of the big pushbacks I get from clients is, you know, well, there's no signs of the cycle cracking just yet. And there's some cheap things out there. Should we chase after cheap things? Um, on, on your side, do you think banks are cheap? And what do you think are the most compelling deals? And what do you think we, we need to have to see a P multiple re-rate? Yeah, um, from our perspective, from the bottom-up perspective, I'm sure Mislav can put in context of other industries as well and earnings dynamics. Um, the sector initially looks cheap. Um, it's trading at roughly seven times 2025 earnings in Europe. It's trading a bit more expensive in Japan, but remember the earnings dynamic is much higher in terms of uh, uh, um, the, the, the cycle of interest rates going up and clearly the beta uh, impact on earnings, so to say. Um, um, and what we believe in, in Europe seven times might look very cheap, uh, but put that in context of normalized interest rates, or even we normalize short rates, we would be trading more at seven half times earnings and the historic long-term PE pros post GFC for European banks is around 8.2 times. So we are not very far off from normalized levels. That's the first thing I would highlight. The second thing is pre-GFC and beginning of GFC, we didn't really care too much about leverage. Now we do care about leverage and the market puts a risk premium on that. We are 18 times leveraged in the banking sector. And then third element that I would highlight is liquidity. We have never really thought that liquidity could move so fast uh, pre-SVB uh, and First Republic and CS. And clearly that is a major change of putting a higher cost of equity on European banks, considering it's not just about capital at risk, uh, but it's also about liquidity risk, which is a new element that we have to take into account in even uh, regional or retail banks. Thanks, Ian. Let's bounce the same question over to, to Mislav. What kind of cheap things do you think are worth owning? And, and like, I just give you an example. When you look at the small cap to large cap ratio, it looks pretty miserable, but at the same time, it looks like it's, it's getting worse. So, so maybe you can highlight what kind of cheap things you think have a chance of re-rating. Great, thanks. Uh, so I would say first, if you look at um, the valuations, um, and, and if I start with, uh, banks and they clearly are still screening very attractive. The issue is that that this year really and, and typically what usually works is what has the earnings support. So let's say you could have said um, at the start of the year like commodities, you know, energy, mining, free cash flow, yield, valuations, they look super cheap but they have been a uh, a terrible performer as their earnings momentum really disappointed and and banks have been cheap for a while and really the only reason why they 
bounced and rallied over the last uh, three years was earnings started to be upgraded strongly and European banks continued to ramp up because net interest income and all these um, earnings supports, um, unlike for the US banks, um, uh, sustained after SVB. So, so, the, so the call here is, yes, banks are are, are are still optically cheap because they have been doing really well on the profitability. But if the earnings momentum relative turns, um, we do have a, a problem. Exactly as Kian has said, um, they are the most leveraged out of all the sectors and there could be a different way the the investors uh, would value them. So, so ultimately they performed as the earnings uptrend started and they might stop performing as the earnings uptrend um, uh, starts to roll. If you look at more broadly, we have been underweight, uh, Russell 2000, European small caps, um, UK small caps all the way through this year and last year. So I, I think that we are still underweight. We have not changed the, that view. Um, and I think given the macro setup that we are thinking about, that is remaining the call. Uh, the issue here is just that um, um, they have done really badly. They have been a terrible performer last year and terrible performer this year, and they uh, have derated uh, aggressively. So there is no catalyst that I would be pointing to yet. But if you look at maybe just simply relative value framework to say, okay, um, where do you want to put your investment uh, in terms of a kind of a more um, barbell portfolio, you can say, let's say if you look at performance of small caps um, and, 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 and metric of how they discount recessions or the stage of the cycle, they are discounting far more uncertainty than other, let's say equity investments. So I think fundamentally you stay short and we are short, but if you think purely from a relative value perspective, maybe something like um, you know, um, small caps in certain areas would, could be a technical opportunity just as a relative value. But where I think fundamentally in the equity space, there is the opportunity, it is a long duration trade. Um, last year, everybody was bearish, bearish about a recession, bearish on market, bearish on everything. But the defensives couldn't catch a bid because the bond market uh, sold off and a lot of defenses had a lot of issues, whether it's uh, margin squeezing staples or regulatory uncertainty in utilities or litigation risk in healthcare. I mean, there was always something. And this year people wanted to re-risk and the defenses were left behind. So what I think is attractive fundamentally inside the equity market is this long duration bond proxy type of a trade. Uh, real estate we just talked about earlier, utilities, utilities, strong, uh, especially in Europe, strong earnings power, power prices are high. Um, they um, uh, can offer a lot of upside utilities, real estate, staples. If the bond yields roll, the bond proxies in the equity space are going to look um, very attractive. And these are exactly the sectors which over the last two years have done poorly. But for them, there is a catalyst to turn in the bond market.
I think, thanks, Ms. Lum. I think the alloc reallocations you've made make perfect sense. This, so long as you buy into our, our expected path of interest rates, which is you know, an extended pause followed by cutting in, in 2024. So that puts us in good shape for that transition, assuming that plays out. So let's let's turn to Esmail now to talk about the picture on on European options. Um, Esmail, it seems like the, the the planets have aligned a bit in, in terms of right when these guys have maybe turned a bit more bearish. You you guys have also recommended a long on European banks fall. So so maybe you can lay out your current recommendations right now. Yeah, if I kind of take a step back uh, and just talk about volatility first. So. I mean, one of the most frequent questions that we receive at the moment uh, and that puzzles investors at this stage of the cycle is actually how low volatility is. So the VIX is uh, trading at 15 compared to an average 10-year levels of 18%. Uh, and we see sort of similar levels for the Eurostox 50, both in terms of the trading levels on three months at the money vol and 10-year and averages. Uh, for banking vol specifically, the, uh, the picture is actually even more pronounced. If I look at the uh, SX7E, three months at the money forward vol, it's trading currently at around 20 compared to the uh, long-term average of 27. And all this to me is quite surprising and to many investors, it is quite surprising uh, if we consider the backdrop of uh, very high bond price volatility and a potential turning point in the economic cycle and after the historic increase in, in rates that we've witnessed over the last uh, 18 months or so. And given that only, let's say, half of those hikes uh, are likely to have reached the real economy up to now, um, given lag times, it's very, very likely that, you know, uh, with the passage of time, we should see more and more stress. And as such, it's, it's surprising to see uh, volatility levels as low as they are. So um, the question is, is very valid. Why is implied volatility as low as it is? Uh, the reason for that is simple in our view. Uh, realized volatility has remained subdued and effectively pins down the front end of the volatility curve. Uh, and this is, uh, this is by far the main driver for the low absolute level of implied volatility. And with that, the price of options that we're currently seeing. Um, and again, the dynamic here is particularly salient uh, within the bank space. So if you look at one month's realized volatility on the SX7E, uh, it's currently trading at, uh, it's currently at around 16. Uh, and that compares to an, a long-term average of uh, 27. So it's a, you know, more than 10 points below what we are normally seeing. Um, and it's similar on the Eurostox 50, but less pronounced. So as a result, we see banks' volatility uh, particularly low uh, relative to, uh, to the wider market and the Eurostox 50, and indeed across and, and relative, relative to, to basically all other sectors. The one area where we do see heightened risk aversion in the volatility surface of banks is in skew. So the relative price of out-of-the-money puts uh, to at the money puts or calls. SKU is currently trading close to multi-year highs um, once I adjust for at the money vol. And it exceeded meaningfully current levels only during the COVID crisis. And so 
going back to volatility, um, if volatility is low because of um, realized volatility, then the question is, you know, why is realized volatility uh, in banks so low? And I think one of the reasons here is certainly the absence of any capitulation events since the banking crisis in March, and at least since July, sideways trading uh, markets. Uh, fundamentally, as we heard, uh, banks have been, you know, a key beneficiary, obviously, for of, of rising rates, which is reflected in the, you know, in the, you know, ever increasing and improving consensus forecast that we've seen over the last two years. Uh, the sector has been uh, delivering uh, very significant increases in cash returns to shareholders, uh, both in terms of you know, absolute dividends, but also in the form of uh, share buybacks. Um, and then finally, um, I think the other component to why volatility is low and why realized volatility is so low is, is positioning. Um, uh, on our analysis, uh, we see a very benign uh, positioning backdrop. Um, when we look at positioning across derivatives, notably in futures across Europe, uh, we're basically seeing a neutral picture um, where especially the large short positioning that we saw at the beginning of the year and at the back end of last year has uh, broadly normalized over the course of the year. It has recently picked up slightly, but it remains at historically low levels. Um, and, uh, and that basically explains why realized volatility is as low as, as we're seeing and by implication why implied volatility is as low as, uh, as, as, as it is currently trading at, which, which brings up a couple of very interesting trading opportunities. Esmil, why don't we go into a little bit more detail about what trades you're recommending right now? That's true for banks, but also for the broader market uh, exposure. We see value in, in, in taking advantage of the low levels of volatility and buying optionality here. Um, so this can take different forms depending on where individual conviction levels on the direction of markets lie. Um, um, but given the fundamental views laid out by Mislav and Kian um, and the expectation that we're approaching somewhat of an inflection point, we really like, first of all, cash replacement. So uh, to express bullish views on exposure to individual stocks, sectors or indeed indices, we recommend to trade out of cash equity positions and buy that exposure via options. Uh, so for instance, we recommended about eight weeks ago, uh, the investors sell out of their cash positions on UBS, which has been one of uh, Kian's top picks and a very successful call. And instead replace that exposure via cold spreads into year end. Uh, the low level of volatility allows investors to use options as an efficient uh, risk management tool and limit the maximum downside to the premium paid, you know, while maintaining exposure to the underlying. Second, uh, we recommend hedging positionings, uh, positions via cheap puts and especially put spreads. Given the steep level in skew in these uh, 6.7e that I mentioned, so the price of these put spreads are currently trading at five-year lows, pretty much across the term structure. And then third, uh, in line with our cautious fundamental view on banks, uh, we have uh, recommended 
more recently to take advantage of the low level of relative vol in banks and the wider index and go long downside vol in SX7E via March 24, 90% puts versus the equivalent on the SX5E. Uh, we propose this as a delta hedge trade in view that bank volatility goes up proportionately more than Eurostoxx 50 uh, vol if the expected downturn actually sets in. Uh, this trade also makes sense as a directional trade where investors can run this position naked. Great. Well, thanks, Esmail, for that update. And thanks as well to Kian and Nisla for joining us. And thank you all for tuning in to JP Morgan TV.